Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. As uh, uh, Jordan had said earlier, we're uh, beginning a new series that we're calling Songs I Can't Stop Singing, where we'll be looking at a bunch of fun songs and topics throughout the remainder of the summer. And, of course, as you just heard, we're going to jump into it with uh, When I'm 64 by the Beatles. Um, this song was first, believe it or not, was released on their iconic Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band album in 1967, back when they still had albums. And believe it or not, the basic song was written by Paul McCartney when he was 16 years old. Now, the straightforward interpretation of this song is it's um, about a person who's thinking about his value as he gets older. And if you're a contemplative person at all with some mileage on you, you've probably had these thoughts. But I think that this song has applicability to all ages, young and old. Because at a deeper level, the song deals with the issues of who I was and who I am and who I am going to be. It deals with whether or not we're becoming irrelevant and inconsequential as we get older. It deals with the very nature of our worth in our being. So while I'll be speaking, obviously, from the perspective of one who's closer to 64 than 16, I hope that you'll be able to glean something from this message regardless of your age. Well, as we look into more detail on this uh, particular idea, here's my operating assumption, that as we continue to follow God and are more formed by Him, And as that formation, obviously, will have to affect the relationships and the circumstances and the world that is around me, we don't become irrelevant. We actually become more and more relevant and effective and kingdom-worthy. We're called to press on toward the goal of living a heavenward life in Jesus. So at this point... I'd like to read the scripture and I'd like to invite you to stand as I do so. Our scripture this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, um, and it's going to be 7 through 14. It's going to be on page 1180 if you want to follow along. Um, And I'm going to begin in uh, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on, toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. 
And you can be seated. Now, before I uh, exegete the Beatles, I need to just kind of back up a little bit and talk about this series, the series that we're doing. Just recently, um, there was this video that made the rounds on social media. It was um, something by James Corden, who does this thing called The Late Late Show. And Corden does this thing called Carpool Karaoke, where he invites celebrities to drive around with him, and then they just kind of sing songs as they're doing it. Well, in this particular one, he invites a particular guest to drive around the particular area. And, well, how about if we just show you a snippet of it right now? Well, Look there. where we are now. Penny Look Lane. at this. <laughs> All right. We're on it. I mean, it feels only right that we would listen to this while we're here, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, There is a barber showing photographs of every head he's had the pleasure to know. And all the people that come and go stop and say hello. 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 <laughs> Penny Lane. and go, that's never in. They'll never believe it. They'll never believe it. Penny Lane, there is a fireman with an hourglass. And in his pocket is a portrait of the Queen. He likes to keep his fire engine clean. It's a clean machine. I used to be in the choir at that church. That church there? St. Barnabas, yeah. That, you were in the choir. I was a choir boy. Thank God for that choir. Yes, the voices. When I, um, when I saw this video, and I, I highly recommend that you give 24 minutes of your life to this video in, and see it in its entirety, it made me laugh, it made me cry, it made me sing by myself in the room. It was just that good. I think that there's something very special about music that taps into the soul in unique ways, don't you think? And I have a theory about that. Think about your favorite music. Chances are... Much of the music you love, you discovered when you were in your teens or in your 20s. And this is typically the time when you're trying to define yourself, when the deep questions of identity and purpose and meaning and acceptance become important. And music is one of the ways in which we define ourselves. Music, like any other cultural artifact, helps define us. And then in doing so, it also helps us to make sense of the world around us as well. Bing Crosby released I'll Be Home for Christmas during the winter of 1943, and it immediately captured the sentiment of an entire nation dealing with world war. The Beatles sang All You Need Is Love in the summer of 1967, and it became the defining anthem for a decade of peace-seeking hippies marching for change. Kurt Cobain in Nirvana delivered the anachronistic Smells Like Teen Spirit in the nihilistic 90s. And it became a theme song of sorts for the ironically tinged Generation X. The war generation, the hippie generation, and the Gen X generation. Music seems to have defined pretty much every generation. As poet Ralph Waldo Emerson confirms, music takes us out of the actual and whispers to us dim secrets that startle our wonder as to who we are, for what, whence, and where to. 
Music is also the language of feelings. It is indeed true that music can soothe the savage breast. And I said this last, uh, last service, and everybody tittled a little bit. I just want to make, for the record, that's what it actually says. So there you go. Um, music can make us feel happy or sad, pensive or elated, boisterous or quiet, angry or indifferent. We've all felt pride as we you know, stood up for the national anthem or quiet interior peace at the hushed singing of Silent Night here at our Christmas Eve candlelight service or anticipation at the beginning of the promenade of pomp and circumstance. Or maybe you felt butterflies in your stomach at the opening notes of the wedding march. Evocative, emotive, enfolding. Music delivers this unspoken dialogue of mood and sentiment, stirring and spirituality. Music, as they say, is what feelings sound like. One more thing. We've had this tremendous response to the Kingdom of God series, which we just completed last week. And I, I think, we think, that it's indicative of a, a genuine hunger that many of you are all demonstrating to learn in greater and greater ways what it is to live in the Kingdom of God. So, as songs have this abstract way of being able to scratch at the itch of our hearts, you'll be seeing us using this series to further develop some of the Kingdom of God thoughts through the music. So over the remainder of our summer, we're going to examine some songs, which is another way of saying we're going to examine some feelings and perceptions and some concepts and see what the Bible has to say about them. And now back to this first week as we talk about when I'm 64. And as I talk about this and begin, I want to talk about this concept that is called ascent and descent. So McCartney poses to us this quite philosophical question. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? The Franciscan monk, uh, Richard Rohr, proposes this idea that you can look at your spiritual life in terms of two halves, a season of ascent and a season of descent. I mentioned this in a message uh, last year when I was preaching on the person of Moses, so forgive me if this sounds like something you've heard before, but I think it bears repeating. The season of ascent is the first half of your life. It is marked by goal setting, striving, discovery, and achievement. This is that first season where we, where we prove ourselves and we set life goals and we try to take on those goals. This is the season of life where we create the trajectory of our lives, our jobs, career, marriage, family, and our ambitions. And this is really where we start to hone our identity as well. In the process of striving, we begin to discover ourselves and define who we are, or at least who we think we are. It is the job of all young people to ascend. Um, and this has implications on those of you who are younger who are here today. Life has never been easy for anyone, but it is uniquely difficult these days to be a young person. The economy, the cost of education, the lack of jobs, the lack of focus, and the lack of hope in our culture, in our world. There's this lack of vision that many people have now. And I know it can be really, really disheartening. How many of you young people feel that? 
Feel that in your gut, that there's this general lack of purpose and hope for the future. How many of you are feeling these unique millennial pressures? Well, if you are, I want to encourage you to keep moving forward, keep striving, keep ascending, and don't give up. Even in the midst of uncertainty, it's important to keep on ascending. Don't be stagnant. Don't be still. It's like, it's like climbing a mountain. You won't gain perspective until you gain altitude. Now, the second season is a season of descent. And this is the period where you don't feel like you need you have to prove anything anymore. It's a season of internal spiritual deepening, of maturity and wisdom. A season that is less about breath and more about depth. Our worth is less tied to achievement and more about simply being. It's a season when one hopefully comes to peace with one's inadequacies. For example, I'm never going to be able to bench press 250 pounds. I'm never going to open for Steely Dan. I'm never going to be a payload specialist on the space shuttle. Those things are over, and I'm okay with it now. And most importantly, in this season of descent, we learn through God's grace the very, very advanced art of surrender. Now, the latter season, this latter season of descent, doesn't mean that you aren't any less productive. In fact, it might be the most productive season of your life. But life is less about striving, more about leaving a legacy. Less about taking a hill, and more about mentoring and helping others up that hill. This second season, the season of descent, is really a critical time in our our spiritual maturity. And now I'm wondering, how many of you in this room are feeling that you may be in this stage of your life? How many of you are in the season of descent? Well, here's the thing. We all have a spiritual journey, one that hopefully draws us closer to God, teaches us greater humility and grace, and moves us into our God callings. And some of us are ascending, and some of us are descending. Some of us are closer to 16 and some of us are closer to 64. While every one of us has a unique spiritual journey, every single one of us is called to work through our internal struggles and dysfunctions, work through the issues of purpose and calling, work through the issues of acceptance and belonging. Some of us are still in the season of ascent. And that's a wonderful time. Find your calling and pursue it with all your heart and passion. Achieve great things and follow God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And some of us are in the season of descent. And this is also a wonderful time. For those of you who are in this season, I encourage you, even implore you, don't take yourself out of the game. You might be headed for retirement, but don't retire from your spiritual formation. Don't retire from mission. Don't retire from service. Don't retire from relationships. You have so much to offer the church, so much to offer the world. Now is when you should be pressing deeply into the kingdom in greater and greater ways. Don't stop serving and giving and mentoring and learning how to give your life away. Regardless of where you are in your journey, God has a plan for you, a future vision for your life. As the Apostle Paul says, a future prize 
for which we must press on. So now I want to talk a little bit about becoming your future self. Last fall, I had the opportunity to take a personal retreat. You know, an extended time over the period of many days for a lot of self-reflection and prayer. And I was talking to God about becoming more purposeful in my own season of descent and how I can best press into the goal, press into the prize for which God is calling me. And I must say it was a really revelatory retreat. I came away thinking more purposefully about my life, thinking more purposefully about how to live it. And here's the thing. Um, I had arbitrarily kind of picked this seven-year window, like seven years, like what am I going to do over the next seven years? And coincidentally, when I was doing this last fall, I was 57. So if you add seven years to that, it's 64. So perfectly matches the song. So I want to share with you some of my thoughts and insights from my retreat because I'm hoping that it might help you or at least spurn you into your own um, thoughts and reflections on your own life. Here's the gist of it. So I asked myself this first question. God, what are you calling me to do in this next chapter of my life? This is the question of doing. And it covers what will I do? Where will I be? Who am I with? And how do I express the kingdom of God in all of that context? It's a big question and one that demands some thoughtful contemplation. But as I thought about it, it naturally led me to a second question, a question of being, not just doing. So I had to ask myself this question. God, who are you calling me to be in order for me to accomplish this? So these two, thing, these two questions form the future self of me. In other words, what will be the future condition of my soul, my heart, and my mind, and my will, and my strength to be the person that God is calling me to be? And that's a pretty deep question in and of itself as well. If I'm to be the type of person who routinely and easily lives in the kingdom of God, I have to pay attention to being as well as doing. Now, if you're a process type of person like I am, you'll see that these two questions prompts one more very critical question. God, what do I need to do now to become formed into the type of person that you need me to be when I get there? Let me say that again because it's a little convoluted. God, what do you need me to do now to become formed into the type of person that you need me to be when I get there? This is the formation question. In other words, what do I need to do now and into the future, which is, of course, in cooperation with the Spirit of God, to become the person God intends me to be and do in that future self? So now for me, these three questions would give me an indication of what Paul means when he says, pressing on toward the goal to win the prize. My time with God during this retreat was spent trying to discern what this means practically for me, for the future and for my here and now. It has implications on the spiritual practices I need to do, the relationships I need to foster, the roles I need to take on, and also the roles that I need to transition away from. Even the way I take care of my body and the way I spend my time and the way I express my art. So let me turn it around and ask you the question. 
Do you have a God-given vision for your future? For your future self? Or are you just living one day at a time? Are you just making it up as you go? Because if you don't have a vision for your own future, how do you know where you're going? This is the gist of what I'm trying to say this morning. You need a vision for your future self so you'll know how to get there. If you've gone through um, any spiritual formation here at Oak Hills, you've probably heard us talk about this concept called vision, intention, and means, which is uh, based on the teachings of Dallas Willard. Vision refers to the things we need to understand clearly about us and God in life. Intention refers to the values we need to commit to. And means refers to the practices or spiritual disciplines we need to foster that transformation. And now we're not going to walk through that door today because that's a really, really big door that leads into a really, really big room. But I want to touch on the first part, the vision part, as it's a critical aspect of how we actually become changed people. As I said, this vision for my life is an arbitrary seven-year window that I made up. So this, ap- this exercise, if you want to go through it with me, is applicable to any adult age. If you're 60 years old, think about what God wants you to be and do and what practices you need to add to that when you're 67. If you're 30, think about 37. If you're 16, think about 23. Just do the math. And then do some really hard self-reflection and personal consideration about that future age. Ask yourself the issues of future being and future doing and the disciplines and practices that will make that so. Ask, what is God calling me to do? Who is God calling me to be? And how do I become that person? Now, this sounds um, kind of ethereal and theoretical, but it's not that at all. Everything has spiritual consequences in the kingdom of God. And so everything matters. Willard argues that the fully integrated soul means that our will and our mind and our emotions and our body and even our relationships should all be aligned to God. So being fully aligned to God's will is not just my spirit, but also my health and my finances and my career and my hobbies and my relationships and my home. All of these things now become part of pressing into the prize because they're all related. Now, as I, as I prayed about it, I think God started to form an idea in my head. An idea of this person that he wanted me to become in this next chapter of my life. This person lived in a way, in such a way that living in the kingdom was easy and routine. This person was a person who forgave easily, lived more gracefully, and was a conduit for reconciliation. This person that I saw was an encourager and a believer of people and a champion of others. This person was known for what he was for and not for what he was against. This person was older, yeah, but he was still healthy and ambulatory, and still able to wrestle with all his grandchildren. This person was still creative, still artistic, still inventive, but also he naturally was able to draw that out of others. 
This person was hopefully financially secure and not a burden to his family. This person still had the capacity to be used by God to do great things, but was one who had no other will than the will of his father. And the more I thought about this fictional person, the more I wanted to be that person. And so, as Paul so eloquently says in Philippians, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. What I'm saying here is that there's this future version of who you are that God intends you to be, every single one of us, whether you're young or old, whether you're in ascent or descent. So let me ask you this question. Do you have a vision for what God intends you to be and do? What's God's idea of your future self? Because it's important that we know what the prize is. If you don't know what the goal is, it's going to be really hard for you to press into that prize. You see, the prize is not just heaven when you die. Not just being with Jesus, though these are wonderful and amazing things. The prize is also becoming the type of person that God intends us to be when we get there. Because what we do and why we do before God and others springs from who we are. I really encourage you to prayerfully contemplate this. Who is God intending you to be? Do you have a God-breathed vision for your future self? So, in this time remaining, I just want to briefly go over how I went through my contemplative exercise. And it might help you and it may not. Um, I also need to add that this is not necessarily the way you should do it, but I found that just helpful for me to take a deeper dive into my own self-perceptions. So, okay, here in my quiet time, I came up with some categories of my life, and they're there. There are basically two categories I came up with, being and doing. And obviously, this is going to look unique for every unique person, so feel free to add or subtract or do your own version of this. But for our purposes, I just want to talk about these two categories. And we'll start with being. Okay? Being is who we are. And for this exercise that I did, being is also who God is intending us to be. So being begins with our spiritual formation. Do you have a purposeful plan for becoming more Christ-like over the next chapter of your life? And I'm, I'm not just talking about being in a Bible study, although that's a good thing. I'm talking about adding practices and actions and relationships into your life which can help you become more formed in Christ. What can you add to your life that can aid you to become more and more the type of person that, for example, exhibits the fruit of the Spirit? To be more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good, more faithful, more gentle. What are you doing to further develop your spiritual appetites so that you are more and more enamored by faithful living and having a spirit of reconciliation and expressing love for God? And at the point where your appetites are that you find anger and lust and selfishness more and more distasteful 
What are you doing to become a person who has an increasingly growing heart to love God? In increasing measure, you, you want to be with Him. You want to be in His presence. You want to become more aware of His goodness and live in His deep abiding love. To love God with heart and soul and mind and strength more and more and more. And then to express that love in our personal lives, through the, through the relationships we have, and also in community, in worship here on a Sunday morning. So the question, do you have a purposeful plan for your spiritual growth? So being also includes physical health. And we don't talk about this a lot, but I just want to briefly mention it. You see, our bodies don't house our souls. Our bodies are a part of our soul. The Bible says that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as such, we have this obligation to take care of our temples. And that includes eating right and exercising and staying away from chemicals and practices which will injure it. Do you have a purposeful plan for maintaining and developing, or, and developing your physical health in the next season of your life? Being has also to do with intellectual growth. We should always be continually fostering a sense of humble curiosity about the world. We should always be smarter tomorrow than we are today. Do you have a purposeful plan for growing intellectually in this next season of your life? Okay, let's slip over to the doing categories here. The second category, doing, has to do with how we express our being into the world. We have jobs and careers in school. We have hobbies and arts and activities and other ways in which we express our individuality into the world. We have callings to be missional and to serve and to be in community with other believers. We have roles as sons and daughters, husbands and wives, employers and employees, students and teachers, friends, and family. In each of these places of doing, we have these natural spheres of influence. And so we also have the ability to express our lordship of Jesus within each of those spheres. Doing also includes our circumstances. And that is where we'll live, what will our financial situation be in the future, what will be our quality of life, what will be the social circles that you're going to be in, what is the church you will be attending, What will your family look like? And equally important, as you start to develop into your life, what is your place in the social fabric of your family in the future? This has really a lot of implications on how you're called to relate to your spouse, your children, your extended family, to your friends and your work associates. Remember that everything has spiritual consequences in the kingdom of God. And so everything matters. Being and doing are all important as we consider pressing towards the goal to win the prize. As you um, form a vision for what that looks like in the next season of your life, how will you be expressing your faith in it? Are you doing what it takes to become that future person? Do you have a purposeful plan for what you're going to do in the next season of your life? So, now let me take it out of the theoretical and make it practical. And I'm going to use my life as an example. In terms of being, I feel God is calling me 
to be a person who is increasingly less self-oriented. This is a really big deal for me, and this is probably the primary area that I need growth in. So I am learning through fostering specific relationships with others to give myself away. This means purposely being there for others and listening to God when I'm around godly people and trying to live with less pretension or internal strife. There are also certain books to read, certain practices to take on, certain callings for me to pursue. I find myself being a teacher and a mentor more and a performer less. I find myself learning how to become less impressed with myself and more impressed by simple things like a sunrise or a baby's smile or quietness. I'm also being more intentional with how I treat my body, with what I eat and how I exercise and also how I pay attention to the rhythms of rest and of Sabbath because I, I still want to I still want to travel. I still want to be ambulatory. I still want to be an active grandpa. And I'm more intentional about my in- intellect, trying to keep my intellect act- active, trying to be a learner of new things, and also trying to be careful about what things I put into my brain. I'm trying to exercise my creativity muscles more and more, from book writing to developing musical instruments. And I'm trying to surround myself more and more with other creative people because that's how God made me. I'm also seeing God calling me to participate more and more on what he's doing outside of the walls of the church, from missions trips overseas to speaking engagements that I'm being called to, to just being more available to be around and help friends when they ask me. My wife, Debbie, and I have talked extensively about downsizing our lives over the next years so that we will be prepared for a less cluttered and more relationally rich life. We've talked about living with less, living on less, and living owing less. In our next season of life, Deb and I want to have a relationally rich and kingdom-oriented life. And also we know that the, probably the greatest gift that we can give to ourselves and to our family and others is the testimony of a grace-filled and contented marriage. And so we've made our marriage a relational priority in this next season. So that's how I'm seeing my future self and how I think I'm intending to get there. How about you? As you do maybe a bit of a self-inventory, does anything jump out at you at all? Um, maybe I can give you guys just a few, few examples. Perhaps, as you're sitting there, God is calling you to take a dangerous step into your spiritual formation. Perhaps he is nudging you to call one of our spiritual directors here at church or maybe to join a journey group in this next season. Perhaps God is calling you to reconcile with a family member in this next season. Remember that we are called to be agents of God's shalom to the world. And you don't want to carry this estranged relationship into your future kingdom self. 
Is there an estranged relationship in your life that you just need to be dealing with now? Perhaps there's a secret sin that you've been dealing with for years. And you know you've got to do something about it. It's certainly not something that you want to to have and carry with you and have it deform you for the rest of your life. Well, maybe now is the time you confess that sin to somebody that you trust and find some relational accountability so you can move away from that darkness and into the light. Maybe the only thing you've heard today is that you need to take better care of your body. Maybe you need to be less sedentary and you need to take some steps towards better health. You should maybe pray about that. All of these are just examples of how having a God-given vision for your future self can help you establish the practices that you need now. So I'm going to be uh, uh, concluding with my final point, pressing toward the prize. Um, This is really all I have for you uh, this morning, so I'm going to bring it home now. As I have shared with you all of this stuff, I realize that this seems uh, a bit idealistic and a little dreamy. I mean, it sounds good when you, you say it out loud, but life just isn't that simple. No one has a, a smooth running life, not in the real world. And as I look around the room this morning, I know this to be painfully true. We have all had trials and tragedies and difficulties and challenges and speed bumps along the way. Future is often hard to discern and understand with clarity. But I do know this to be true. Without a God-given vision for your future, you will be hard-pressed to achieve that future. If you believe that God wants you to grow in Him over time, you need to believe that that future self exists. You won't get to the prize unless you know what the prize looks like. Now, if you're interested in furthering your spiritual formation, Oak Hills is designed to help you. We have several small groups that are focused on formation, and many of them are geared toward a particular season of life as well, so you'll find something that can match you. As I mentioned before, we have a team of spiritual directors who can meet with you one-on-one to help you go deeper into your discernment process. In the fall, we're going to have some spiritual formation retreats that you can sign up for. And we will also uh, be kicking off another journey group, which is an intense formation study. Uh, Many of you know that we have a small library upstairs. And there are quite a few books on formation that you can go in and actually check out, take home and read. And of course, you can talk to someone in the lobby after service or call our care pastor, uh, Lorraine Rothenberg, at the church office, and she can help you to come up with a formation plan. And finally, there is um, a formation that simply occurs every Sunday morning when you come here and you worship and you are in community with one another, and it's called the Sunday service. Imagine what it would look like if you came every Sunday to church. Um, We can uh, gather together and we can be spiritually formed together as a community when we do that. Okay, if God is stirring you today, 
I encourage you to talk to someone, maybe someone in the lobby or myself after the service. I'm going to close in prayer. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you that you're not done with us yet. Um, We thank you, Lord, that you invite us on this journey with you. And though the journey um, might have twists and turns, we know that you're with us every step of the way. Father, we ask that you would light our path and that you would make it straight. That you would give us a future vision for who you want us to be. And then give us the courage to take those steps so that we might achieve that future vision that we might know you more, that we might reflect you more, that we might um, uh, stand before you and feel your pleasure. And I pray that for everyone in this room this morning, young and old, in ascent and in descent, that your hand would be upon them and that you would not let them go. Guide us and lead us, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I, uh, I, I want to invite you to um, stand right now. Mary, thank you so much for, for painting this morning. Let's, uh, let's, um, I, as you stand, uh, um, I'd like to give you the benediction today. Now may the peace and the power and a future vision for your life be yours through Jesus Christ. And also with you. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. God bless you.